to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 28, as we follow along with today's lesson. And so immediately, his fame spread abroad throughout all of the region of the Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, that is on this Sabbath day, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Uh, the forthwith, the idea is, is, is right outside of the synagogue. So uh, it is thought that uh, the house of Simon Peter was adjacent near to the synagogue in Capernaum. And as a result, when you go to Capernaum today, to the synagogue that is there, which is a second century synagogue built over the ruins of the synagogue of Jesus' day, just out Side of that synagogue, they have built what looks like a um, flying saucer uh, over the top of what they call the House of Peter. And uh, this church that they have built is a fairly new church. It's only in the last few years. It used to be that we could go there and, and this modernistic style church was not there, but Uh, they would point to uh, this one house that had a sign on it, the house of Simon Peter. Now they've built this uh, church over the top of it. But just whether or not that's authentic is, you know, way out. But uh, evidently his house was near the synagogue there. And so as we're in Israel, I'll often say to the people, we are close to the spot, somewhere in this area it happened. But don't uh, get too wrapped up in the fact that a church is built and it's called the Church of the Loaves and the Fishes and so forth, you know. Because interestingly enough, the Church of the Loaves and the Fishes is is been constructed at Magdala. And uh, actually the miracle of the Loaves and Fishes took place across the lake in Bethsaida. So Uh, It was hard to get over there, though, before they had the bridge across the Jordan River, so it was more um, simple to just build the church uh, right there at Magdala and uh, say, this is the church of the loaves and the fishes. Uh, How many people really know, you know? Uh, So they came out of the synagogue and nearby went into the house of Simon Peter, 
but Simon's wife's mother. Simon then was married. It is interesting to me that um, though Simon Peter was married, and no doubt Andrew, James, and John, all of them, that there is really no reference in the gospel records or the New Testament to the families, to the wives or the children or whatever of the apostles. Uh, this is the only reference we have that lets us know that they were basically family men. And Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And uh, they told Jesus about her. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. Uh, she probably fixed lunch for them. And at evening, when the sun did set, in the afternoon the people don't do much, too hot. And in the evening, after the sun sets, begins to cool off, people come out. And they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, presumably the door of the house of Peter. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and he cast out many devils, and he would not allow the devils to speak because they knew him. He did not yet want the public acknowledgement or recognition of him as the Messiah. He was very conscious of God's timing. He knew that there was a time that he was to be revealed as the Messiah. And thus, prior to that hour, that time, he was doing his best to sort of keep a lid on things. And thus here with the demons, the devils, he would not allow them to speak because they knew who he was, as was demonstrated in the case in the synagogue where he said, we know who you are the Holy One of God. In the morning, now here, here's a busy day. They've been in the synagogue. The, he's been teaching with real authority. Uh, the man possessed with an unclean spirit has been delivered. He goes to Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then in the evening, crowds gather, huge crowds. The whole city, it seems, is at the door of Peter. They've got their sick people. They've got the uh, demon-possessed people. And Jesus is ministering probably way up into the uh, late hours of the night. <laughs> According to our kind of schedule, we say, boy, let's sleep in tomorrow. This has been a busy day. But we read, and in the morning... Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Things are beginning to move. Things are beginning to happen. 
People are beginning to recognize his power. His ministry is beginning to take off. And Jesus sees the necessity of spending time with the Father. And thus, getting up very early, before it was even daylight, he goes out to a solitary place, and there he prays. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said unto him, All men are seeking for you. Crowds are there. People are looking for you. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. It would always be easy to go back and establish his church there in Capernaum. But he says, let's go on. Uncharted territory. There's a necessity to bring the gospel to them also. And so he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and he cast out devils, again demonstrating and manifesting his power over the spirit world of evil. Now there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. The expression of faith, you can make me clean. Recognizing the power and the authority that Jesus had. I know you can make me clean. In his mind, the only issue was the willingness of the Lord. If you are willing, if it is your will, you could make me clean. Many times, I think with us, the issue is the willingness of the Lord. It isn't that we lack faith in the power of the Lord to do something. We know that he is able. Our question is, is he willing to do it? And that is something that we don't always know. And that is why when we pray, we say not according to our will, but your will be done. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the leper came to Jesus, knelt before him. According to the law, he was not to approach Jesus. According to the law, he was to cry unclean if Jesus approached him. But this man is desperate. We talked in the morning message concerning leprosy, especially the biblical leprosy. And some of the Mosaic law concerning leprosy. And if you weren't here, you can get the tape of the morning message because we're not going to repeat some of the details of leprosy. But to suffice, leprosy was incurable at that time. Today, leprosy, though still incurable, can be arrested and its progression in the body can be stopped so that uh, people who have leprosy today can live 
fairly normal lives. But not so in those days. They had no sulfotype drugs. And thus, leprosy was progressive. And uh, it kills the nerves, destroys the senses. A uh, person with leprosy, uh, where the leprosy has attacked the nerve and destroyed the nerve cells, has no sense or consciousness of pain. And that's one of the real dangers of leprosy because a person who say has leprosy in his hand can put his hand down on a hot stove and not even feel the heat and thus be terribly burned. And uh, much of the problem with the leper was the fact that they have no sense of pain and thus uh, they, they can be injured and not even realize that they can bleed to death not even knowing that they were cut or... Uh, be scorched uh, or, or their hands severely burned and then the blood poisoning and so forth as a result. So they usually did not die of leprosy but of some other uh, factor that was related to the leprosy. But a man who had leprosy was hopeless and thus desperate. And this man came to Jesus, knelt before him, beseeching him, with the words, if you are willing, you could make me clean. And then we read, And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. As we pointed out today, because of the nature of leprosy, it has been used as a type of sin. Incurable by human standards, destroys by rotting process, is progressive in its nature, and thus a type of sin and the destroying effects of sin, the progressive aspects of sin. Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, to look at a leprous person, to smell the stench that comes from the rotting flesh is generally extremely repulsive. One of the greatest problems that Father Damien had when he went to the uh, leper colony there in Molokai was the horrible stench. And, and he would actually get sick. Uh, physically sick and throw up because of the stench uh, going into their houses. It, it was, it's extremely difficult. Uh, the smell is so repulsive that it just turns your stomach. And, and we would probably, seeing a leprous person and seeing the, the development of the leprosy, perhaps missing their hand or part of their arm and all, we would be repulsed by it. But Jesus, seeing him, was moved with compassion and reached out and touched him. To touch a leper was contrary to the law. It would cause you to be unclean from a ceremonial standpoint. When I read this, Jesus was moved with compassion he reached out and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. 
I think of the words of Jesus to Philip the night that Jesus was betrayed, the day before he was crucified. How when Philip said, Lord, if you'll just show us the Father, it will suffice us. And Jesus answered and said, Have I been so long a time with you, Philip? Haven't you seen me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Let's look at Jesus as he deals with this man in this repulsive state. He's moved with compassion. He reaches out and he touches him. And he declares, I will be clean. You see there the Father, moved with compassion over our conditions, willing to reach out and touch us, and yes, willing to heal. If you are willing, Lord, you can. Jesus said, I am willing. I will. It's good to know that he is willing as well as able to help us today. Now, in looking at this from a spiritual sense, looking at leprosy as the type of sin, we know that God is willing to forgive every man, no matter what sin they may have committed. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there is one thing you never need to question, and that is the willingness of God to save you and to forgive you your sins. That's never an issue. That's never a question. You know that God is willing, ready to reach out and touch you, ready to destroy that which is destroying you, basically your sin. Sin like leprosy is destructive. It destroys the victim. Sin is destroying you. But Jesus is willing to reach out and touch you because he's moved with compassion for your condition. Oh, I, I love this story. I love it wherever in the New Testament I read, and Jesus was moved with compassion. When he saw the needs of men, it always moved him with compassion. And conscious as I am of my own needs, it's comforting to me to know that when Jesus sees me in my needs, he's moved with compassion. Now, there are cases where I am moved with compassion, but unfortunately, I don't have any power to do anything about it. When I go through children's hospital, and I see these little children in their beds, and, and, I, and I see the deformed bodies, and I see the, the physical conditions, I'm moved with compassion for these children. My heart just is moved with compassion towards them. 
But unfortunately, I don't have the power to do anything. And, and I often thought, oh Lord, how I would love to have the power to just go in and take this little child by the hand and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. But I don't have that power. Now, I'm not blaming God for the lack of power. It's probably something within me. But the glorious thing is that when he's moved with compassion, he has the power to do something about it. The ability to do something about it. And so he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. It wasn't... You know, well, he progressively got better. And the doctor said, well, we must have misdiagnosed this, you know. Uh, and he said, well, you know, I thought I had leprosy, but, uh, you know, it was just a mistake in the uh, diagnosing of the situation, and I'm fine. But, no, it was immediate. That white, rotten flesh turned pink healthy, strong, immediately the leprosy departed and he was cleansed. And Jesus very strictly charged him saying, don't say anything about this to anybody, but just go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony unto them, that is, unto the priest. Turn to Leviticus chapter 14, and there you find an interesting passage of Scripture concerning the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Chapter 14, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look and behold if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. And then shall the priest command him to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop, and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel, that is a clay pot, over running water. And as for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them in, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair, wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent for seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off of his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all the hair. He shall shave it off and shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two lambs out 
uh, without blemish and one ewe lamb of the first year. And he goes on with the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. But the interesting thing is that leprosy was incurable. There was no cure for leprosy, even as there is no cure even to the present day, just an arresting. But in those days, they couldn't even arrest the development. How is it that God would make a law for the restoring of a leper into the community when there was no cure for leprosy? The only way a leper could be cured was by God's divine action of healing him. And so God made the allowances in the law for him to work his divine work of grace when he so desired. And for that person upon which the divine work of grace was brought could be brought back into society and into the community of man. So to me, that is a blessed thing. That even in the law, God made provision for grace to operate, his grace, unto the leper. So Jesus commanded him, just go and follow the Mosaic law. Present yourself to the priest. Offer those things that Moses commanded for your cleansing. <laughs> and don't tell anybody, just, you know, between you and me. But he went out... <laughs> And began to publish it everywhere. And to blaze abroad the matter. And of course, you can't really blame him, can you? I mean, here, your life is a mess. Your life is, is down the tubes. Your life is being destroyed by this horrible, loathsome leprosy. You're outcast. Uh, you have no hope. And suddenly, you're well. Now people are going to say, what happened to you? And, and you're bound to tell them. And you want to tell them, hey, man, Jesus cleansed me. He just said the word. And, and immediately that white rotten flesh changed and I was healed by the word of Jesus. You'd want to tell everybody. That's the result of experiencing the work of the Lord in your life and thus witnessing for Christ is the same thing. Because of what the Lord has done for you, as David said, he took me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon the rock, and he established my goings. And when you're sinking, you're going down, you're sinking in the mire, and suddenly Jesus lifts you out. Suddenly you have this new life. Those things that were dragging you down and destroying you are gone. And you have fellowship with the Lord and the joy of fellowshipping with him. You want to share it with everybody. You don't have to go to a class and learn how to witness. It's just the natural desire of the heart that has been set free by the power of Jesus Christ. I want to share with others what the Lord has done for me. And that's basically what witnessing is, sharing with others what the Lord has done for you. 
And this fellow went out and published it, blazes it abroad. I mean, he's telling everybody he met. So much so that Jesus couldn't go any longer openly into a village. He had to stay out in the deserted areas where the people started coming out to him from all of the villages, from all of the quarters. And he spent his time really out in deserted areas allowing the people to come to him rather than try to go into the villages uh, because of the fame that was spread abroad concerning the miracles, the healings, the power over the evil spirits, over leprosy, over diseases. As he was manifesting to man the Father, the heart of the Father, the desire of the Father. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And so what interesting glimpses we get of the Father tonight who looks upon us with compassion, who reaches out and touches us, and who delivers us from those things that destroy. What a wonderful God we serve. In the second chapter, in the beginning of the third chapter, Mark gives us little episodes from the life of Christ. And in these, he is, in each case, showing us the animosity that is beginning to develop between Jesus and the religious leaders of that day. And we find how they are beginning to find fault with him. How they're beginning to watch him carefully criticizing him. How that they are beginning to look for reasons and ways by which they might accuse him. It culminates in chapter 3, verse 6, where we read, and the Pharisees went forth and immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. And so uh, we see now this building of the uh, criticism and animosity against Jesus. It is bad to develop a critical spirit. Once you develop a critical spirit, then you find that you are able to find fault with anything and everything. It's sad when a person puts himself on the place of judgment where he feels that he has the right to judge the actions, the activities, the thoughts, the intents, the motives of other people. I have found that this can happen individually and it can happen actually to a church that you can develop this critical spirit, begin to find fault with a pastor. And once a church has found fault with the pastor and gets rid of him, 
They find fault with every other pastor that comes. I would never go to a church to pastor that had found fault with the previous pastor and wanted to get rid of him because I knew it would only be a matter of time till they find fault with me and want to get rid of me. I mean, if, if that's the mode you're in, it's uh, tragic because uh, it colors the way you look at things because you're always looking with an analytical, critical mind, looking to what is wrong, finding fault. And so this is the mindset now of the religious leaders. They are going to be finding fault with everything that Jesus does. They're going to be challenging and questioning everything. And thus, in chapter 2, he shows us in each one of the little uh, vignettes that we have in chapter 2, uh, we see the fault-finding, the criticism of the religious leaders. So it begins when Jesus returns again to Capernaum. Now, in the last part of chapter 1, Jesus healed the man with leprosy who went around telling everybody what Jesus did and the fame of Jesus grew so great that Jesus could not anymore go openly into a city but had to stay in the outskirts, in the deserted areas and the people came out to him. But he had slipped back into the city of Capernaum and it was noised that he was in the house, that he couldn't come in unnoticed. Someone saw him. And soon the whole city knew that Jesus was in the house there in Capernaum, probably the house of Peter. And immediately many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. So as soon as the word got around, Jesus was there, the people began to crowd into the house. Now, in those days, uh, life was pretty much public. If a person's door was open, that was an invitation for anyone to come in. And uh, if, But people always left the door open. There was a, a tremendous um, value placed upon hospitality. And we find that in the scriptures, this value of hospitality. And it still exists uh, among the Bedouin tribesmen today. Uh, it goes way back. This, this real uh, value of being hospitable entertaining strangers, and we find the scripture even encouraging us towards this kind of hospitality. Be uh, careful to entertain strangers. You might be entertaining angels unaware. 
And uh, like Abraham, who showed hospitality to the angels, and, and that was the idea. You never know. Uh, it might be some servant of God. And, and so uh, they had the door open, and soon the house was filled with people. Insomuch that uh, they were crowding around the door trying to get in. And Jesus was in there preaching the word unto them. Now there came unto Jesus four men who were carrying a friend in a stretcher who was paralyzed. And when they could not come into the house because of the crowd around the door, these fellows, being very resourceful, climbed up on the roof and they removed a part of the roofing and they let their friend down into the room in front of Jesus. I can imagine the reaction of the crowd to hear the racket and the noise up on the roof of these guys are tearing the roof apart. And then to see this fellow as, as he is being gradually descending in front of Jesus on this stretcher as they are letting him down. I really believe that Jesus probably chuckled. I, I do. I, I just see him sort of chuckling at this guy coming down in front of him. And Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to the one who was paralyzed, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. It is suggested by some commentators that his paralysis could be related to syphilis. Because in those days they did not have the penicillin drugs and there was no cure for syphilis and of course it is a progressive disease attacking the brain and uh, ultimately causing paralysis and blindness and thus an association between the man's paralysis and his condition Quite often, there is a connection between sin and a person's physical condition. If you drink excessively, you will ultimately get cirrhosis of the liver as the liver is no longer able to uh, filter out and uh, to purify and it sort of breaks down and you get the cirrhosis of the liver. And in many cases there is a direct relationship between a person's sin and their physical condition. Jesus seemed to make that kind of a relationship with this man. But when he said to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. 
I believe that the four fellows who brought him, still standing up on the roof and peering down through the hole that they had made in the roof, I'm certain that they wanted to say, no, 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 Lord, that's not why we brought him here. Many times people do come to the Lord for wrong reasons. Many times people come to the Lord just for the perks, the benefits. They're interested in the healing of the body. They're not necessarily interested in the forgiveness of sins. And I think that many times when we pray for people, we, we don't really pray for the basic problem of sin in the life. Uh, we're, we're so prone to just pray that God will work with the symptoms. As we mentioned, we maybe have a friend who is becoming an alcoholic, and we pray, God, help him to stop drinking. Don't, don't, just make him sick every time he drinks. Help him to stop drinking, Lord. And it could be that he stops drinking. And he dies sober. A sober sinner. So what have you really helped him? The real problem is sin. And Jesus was dealing with the first issue first. The greatest need in a person's life is sins forgiven. More important that your sins be forgiven than you be healed of your paralysis. And Jesus was dealing with the basic issues first. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But may, though this may have upset his friends, we know that it upset the Pharisees even more because they, the scribes that were sitting there, were reasoning in their hearts. And they said, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? Accusing Jesus now of blasphemy. This is the beginning now. As Jesus declares thy sins be forgiven thee, their response is, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, they're half correct. They were wrong when they thought it was blasphemy. They were correct in their assumption that only God can forgive sins. You see, Sin is the violation of God's law. And thus, sin is against God. And only God can forgive sin. When David was praying after he was faced by his friend Nathan the prophet with his guilt, and as he prayed, have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this great evil in thy sight. He sinned against God when he committed adultery with Bathsheba because God said, thou shalt not take thy neighbor's wife. He sinned against God when he had Urias killed 
For God said, thou shalt not murder. And so David acknowledged my sin is against God, against thee. And if the sin is against God, then only God can forgive sin. Now, you may sin against me in the sense that you might go out and tell lies. No, you wouldn't, but others could go out and tell lies about me. And there have been a few. And your lies may affect my reputation. There was a guy by the name of John Todd several years ago. He's been lost in the woodwork long since. But uh, he was going around the country. Uh, oh, man, this guy was making up real whoppers. And he sort of went by the philosophy, tell it big enough and everybody will believe it. You know, I mean, he really was telling some wild stories about how he was the head of the witch's uh, of the world or whatever and he came to Calvary Chapel here and gave me seven million dollars uh, to start Maranatha Music to corrupt the Christian young people and so forth with uh, uh, you know rock type of music and uh, a lot of people around the country were listening to him he was going to uh, predominantly Baptist churches and uh, giving his spiel and uh, and actually what happened is that we started getting a lot of cancellations of people who were getting my tapes because they listened to the tapes of John Todd and thought, my, you know, he's a, the man's a real sneaky guy, you know, he teaches the Bible, but yet he's being used, you know, by, uh, been bought off by the witches society of the world and all. Um, now, he never did, but had he come and said, Chuck, I, I, I've told all these lies I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I would be bound by Scripture to say, yes, I forgive you. But you see, though the sin may have affected my reputation in the minds of some people, his real sin is against God. And because I say I forgive you, that doesn't bring him forgiveness from God. He has to ask God for forgiveness because against God he sinned because it was God who said Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy brother. So his sin was basically against God, as all sin is. Thus only God can really forgive. I say I forgive you, but that doesn't do you much good. You've got to go to God and deal with God with the issue. So here their assumption only God can forgive sin is correct. But their assumption that he is blaspheming was not correct. I think that as far as the fellow who was lying there paralyzed on this cot, when Jesus said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee, I think there was a great sigh of relief. I think there was a heavy burden that was lifted. I think that there was a burst of joy in his heart. Because David when the prophet said to him, your sin is forgiven, he wrote, oh, how happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Oh, the joy, the relief to realize that my sin is forgiven. That horrible thing that has been plaguing my conscience. And think of this now, if indeed, 
the paralysis was related to an affair in which he got syphilis. As he was watching this disease progress, and as he finally was paralyzed as a result, lying there day after day, haunted by this experience that has brought such disaster to his life. Don't you know that over and over in his mind, he was saying, why did I ever do that? How would I ever be so stupid, you know, and, and was just killing himself with a sense of guilt as he saw the consequences of his folly. This past week, as we were talking to the junior high school children up at the camp, we were warning and seeking to warn them of the folly, even of one venture into sin. And how that just one foolish moment can bring lifelong consequences. Just one moment, one foolish decision made in a split second can affect you the rest of your life. When we used to live up on North Broadway in Santa Ana when I was in high school, a young fellow lived next door to us. And he had just gotten his driver's license. And he was out driving here in Orange County and there was a car going slowly in front of him. He decided to pass it on the curve. Just that, you know, you, you, you pull out and you think, oh, should I, should I not? You know, in that moment of just, I'll try it, you know, and he gunned and started to go around and a car came around the corner head on. And this fellow was injured. His spine is paralyzed from the neck down. The rest of his life affected because of one foolish moment. And when that happens to you, you relive the experience over and over again and you beat yourself to death mentally saying, why did I ever do it? The, the lifetime of grief over one foolish moment. Here's this man, beaten down emotionally, spiritually because of his guilt, and Jesus looks with eyes of compassion and tenderness and says, Son, your sin is forgiven you. What a relief. It's gone, the guilt. But the scribes, thinking that's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus now addresses their thoughts. He said, why do you reason these things in your hearts? He knew what was going on in their hearts. John said he didn't need that anybody should testify to him of men. He knew men. He knew what was in them. He knew what they were thinking. He said, what is easier to say to this man? Thy sins are forgiven you or to rise, take up your bed and walk. Obviously, it's easier to say your sins be forgiven you. 
because there is no way to prove or to disprove that you have spoken with authority. We'll continue with more of our in-depth study in the book of Mark in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Jesus' authority to forgive sins. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Mark 1-2 through 2 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you tonight for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to destroy the works of the devil, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring healing. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Because of your compassion, your love, your sympathetic understanding of our weaknesses and of our needs. Lord, you see us tonight. You see everything about us. There is nothing hid from you. You see what others cannot see. You see our hearts, the motives and the issues of our hearts. And knowing us, Lord, fully, knowing us completely, you look upon us with compassion, sympathetic understanding, and you offer to us your help. Thank you, Father. We need your help, and we receive tonight your help and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. It is by faith that you've been walking into one level of spiritual maturity to another. Faith is the key to a successful Christian life. That is why the Word of God tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It was faith that led Abraham into the land of promise. 
It was faith that led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. It was faith that enabled Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water. The question is, what might faith do in you? To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Faith, or to preview a chapter for free online, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.